A spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Isabel Hardman. New NHS figures for waiting times in A&E came out today, showing that more than 29,000 patients waited more than 12 hours in the emergency department. Isabel, just how bad are these numbers? They are really, really bad. So you've got total of 6.7 million people waiting to start treatment at the end of June and that was up from 6.6 million in May and the highest uh, since records began in August 2007 and then you've got the number of people waiting for more than a year to start their hospital treatment stood at 355,774 in June up from 331,623 the month before and as you say, there's the uh, there's uh, around 30,000 people having to wait more than 12 hours in accident and emergency and um, really bad ambulance um, response times as well. So they took almost an hour on average to respond to emergency calls in England last month. Now, that's probably not a shock given the sort of anecdotal evidence that's been emerging in in the press and um, from uh, MPs dealing with these cases in their constituencies. But it's just a reminder of the scale of the challenge that the NHS is dealing with in what is supposed to be its slowest period. So August, June, July, August are much quieter for the health service than um, than the winter. The NHS spends a lot of time doing its winter planning. Indeed, its winter planning for the next winter starts when the um, when the when it's still winter from the previous year. That's how uh, much anxiety winter uh, crises uh, cause the NHS in normal years. But this looks and feels like a, a bad winter for the NHS and obviously it's it's pretty hot outside at the moment so it's it's not winter so that's a real concern because we are then going to be heading into the time when the, the health service is under the greatest pressure and it's it is not entirely clear how it's going to be able to cope with that. And James this could be worsened by the coming energy crisis when price caps go up in October right could you tell us a bit about that? So I think there are two reasons why these rising energy costs are a problem. One, obviously, is that it eats into the NHS budget itself. The second is I think a lot of people will respond, particularly pensioners, by turning the heating down. And the worry is that you end up then with more people getting kind of cold-related diseases, chest infections and the like. And then there's also this other worry that you hear from from some people uh, in the medical world, which is that the data from Australia suggests that, you know, post-COVID, post-lockdowns, kind of greater levels of infectious diseases travelling around the place. And again, that's something that would put more pressure on the NHS. I was particularly struck by what Isabel said, given that Isabel has, has just written this biography of the NHS, because I think the pressures that the NHS are going to come under this winter, judging by these numbers, are going to be some of the worst in living memory. And I think this is, I think this is one of the big questions, which is, you know, how do, does the NHS get through this winter? Because I think, in a way, it is one thing going into a winter when you know it's going to be bad. But the NHS has, because of COVID, has been running kind of hot for almost two and a half years now. 
And there is also the, the fact that there are still patients in hospital with COVID, obviously nowhere near as many as there were, but that still requires various infection control procedures and the like, which make, which make things more difficult. And I think this is, I think this is one of the, one of the big questions is when the service has been running hot for as long as it has, and you've got all the issues about workforce planning and the like, what can you do now realistically to help the NHS before the winter or is it one of those events that kind of has almost already happened? Isabel are there any short-term solutions at least on the horizon to make it easier this winter? Um, (laughs) I mean I think one of the issues is that there there is a sort of disconnect between how ministers are thinking about the NHS and what is actually going on in the NHS and what the pressures are so a lot of the chat within Whitehall and indeed within the leadership contest is about efficiencies. Now the NHS is already being asked to make really very ambitious efficiencies for the next year, despite the squeeze that's being placed on its budget by inflation and by having to meet the um, the staff pay rises uh, such that they are out of its existing budget. But ministers Steve Barclay is particularly known for being very keen on further efficiencies and indeed both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have talked about the need for efficiencies so that they very rarely then uh, drill down into what those are and one of the big problems and we've been hearing from social care providers again in the past few days is social care and you've got a lot of patients in hospital who could be discharged but there isn't a care package for them during the sort of acute phase of the pandemic the treasury came up with money to enable the discharge of those patients. Now, there were obviously lots of problems with the discharge to care homes and that's ended up in the courts and so on. But what that policy did show is that when you stump up cash, you can get people who don't need to be in hospital out of hospital. And what you don't want at the moment is people in hospital occupying beds that are desperately needed all the way through the chain of of hospital care that are then causing these backing ups of, of ambulances and then ambulances taking longer to respond to new calls and so on and so on. So I, I think there are there are some quite obvious problems that, that j- just aren't being addressed because it doesn't suit various narratives and also is very expensive. It's much easier to talk vaguely about people missing GP appointments or um, the need for efficiencies when, to my mind, one of the most if- inefficient things about the health service is the fact it can't get patients out of hospital once it's done its job with them. James, let's turn to the energy crisis. There was a meeting this morning of big energy producers. Can you tell us what that was about and what happened at the meeting? So this was a meeting between them, um, Boris Johnson, uh, uh, who's still the Prime Minister, uh, Nadim Zahawi, the Chancellor, and Kwasi Kwarteng, the Business Secretary. And I think the kind of a meeting was designed to kind of say to the energy companies, well, look, you're going to make all this money and all these profits. What are your plans for investment? Now, the kind of classic stick that you would hold over them is, if you haven't got some pretty ambitious plans for investments, the Treasury might be round to hit you for windfall tax. I think that that threat is slightly less effective because it you know it is well known that the business secretary Kwasi Kwarteng, who's a major Liz Trust backer, is deeply sceptical of windfall taxes. You know, even after the government of which he was part of had introduced one, he was fairly clear that he didn't like the idea of them. And Liz Trust has spoken against the idea of further windfall taxes during the campaign. I think the worry on the energy crisis front is there is no kind of simple solution. I think you, I think you can say reasonably to the energy companies that they should reduce their profit margins right now, and that that would help consumers. I struggle to see what the justification 
for a situation where they're doing kind of share buybacks at this at this at this particular moment is but i think one of the things that you one of the things that is difficult is that because the global price of energy and certainly the european regional price of energy is so high because of putin's use of of his kind of energy weapon as a resource combined with the fact that france which traditionally fairly insulated from all this because it was own nuclear power plants is really struggling because it can't find enough water to cool these power plants in, in the current climate there is no quick fix to this problem and i think one of the the, the issues that this government has gone round the houses on is it is quite hard to find ways that you could gin up extra sources of energy before this winter now both Liz Truss and Rishi Zunak have said during the Cedric campaign, well, we're in favour of fracking where local communities support it. I mean, but the problem with that is that's a bit like saying I'm in favour of eating turkeys for Christmas. You know, you know, despite all the good jobs and money that fracking would bring to places, I don't think there is anywhere in England where there is local support for, for doing it. So that that is not going to work. And even if you could start fracking, it would be years before you... Got, you know, it would take some time before you got that gas out of the ground. You can try and get more gas out of the North Sea. Again, you know, develop more marginal fields. Again, I think that is hard to see that as a quick fix. And so I think the problem is it is very hard to see what you do this winter. And the next policy challenge for the government is where the futures market are now, is now suggesting that energy prices are going to remain very elevated for a prolonged period of time so it's not like the government is sitting there saying well we need to find some one-off way of getting money to people so that they can pay these horrendous energy bills and then next year they will return to normal it now appears that the price of energy is going to remain very high for a long time now you can say that that makes the case for insulation and things like that i think the various government efforts to get people to do more insulation have not been particularly successful recently whether that will change now that the cost of energy is so high is another question but i think i think this is a, a real concern because i don't see how energy prices come down anytime soon because i also think this that even if there was a uh, a ceasefire in ukraine for example i think that the west would be very reluctant to remove the sanctions on russia to go and and to go back to the kind of dependence on russia that vladimir putin is is, is so trying to exploit at, at, at the moment so i think this is a kind of I, I think that we now need to start thinking about how what we should be doing as a country if energy prices are going to remain elevated for a prolonged period of time. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.